0: If you have your Bibles, First Peter chapter thirteen that we read earlier is kind of our base, our home text for the next several weeks. First um, Peter talks about holiness. In fact, what we read it says, "Set your feet, set our feet, to get ready, to make sure we're standing firm, literally on uh, solid ground." But what does that mean? How do we know when we've done it? That we know that we are set firm, that we know we're on that firm foundation. That God has built for us, how do we know for sure it is what it is? That when those trials come or something happens in our life or somebody challenges us, how do we know for sure that it happens? There was a man back in the 1800s who was a fiery preacher. His name was Henry Ward Beecher. He was a very strong opponent of slavery. But early in his life, when he was in school, um, and the story kind of talks about the kind of man he really was and who he became. That when he was a boy, something happened at school. And according to the story, there was one of his teachers, and he was up challenging the kids and challenged the boys to stand up and to agree or disagree with this teacher. And when they asked the boy a question, the teacher fierily and angrily told him he was wrong and to sit down. Well, this happened boy after boy after boy. A boy would stand up and ask the same question. The boy would give the same answer as the other boys. And this professor would just yell at these kids and get in their face and say, sit down, you're wrong. Well, finally it came Henry's turn. Henry Ward Beecher. Henry Beecher stood up. Same question. Henry Ward Beecher gave the same answer. The professor did the same thing. Yelled at him, chewed him out, told him to sit down. But Henry Ward Beecher never sat down. He remained standing. And the professor continued and continued and continued. And finally, the professor turned around and walked back up to the class and said, guys, he goes, you all gave the correct answer. But Henry Ward was the only one willing to stand for his answer. He knew he was right. He was willing to stand for it. How many times have we stood for something only to find out we were wrong? It's happened. You know, I've taken a stand against something or for somebody else and come to find out I shouldn't have. It happens quite a bit. Abraham Lincoln even said one time, be sure to put your feet in the right place. He said, then stand firm. See, if we know our feet are in the right place, if they're on the right foundation, he says, make sure our feet are there, but then to stand firm. Our text in First Peter, it deals with holiness. Like I said, over the next couple of weeks, we want to deal with this topic. We're told in First Peter that we are called to be holy. It says that we should not only be holy, but we should conduct ourselves in this way, and that God declared, you shall be holy. Why are we holy? Because he is holy. He wants us to be like him. Despite what a lot of theologians will tell us, this holiness idea and definition is not as hard as they make it out to be a lot of times. If you look up the word holiness and ask the question to maybe on the internet, what does it mean to be holy? Man, they make a lot of rules and they do a lot of stuff and it's harder than what it is. Can I just tell you this? Holiness simply means being set apart. Okay, To be set apart. To do something different. Remember Jesus and God, when Jesus was on earth, he told us that we should be different than the world. We are in the world, but not of the world. We are set apart from the world, he is saying. So when we think about this, think about our sound people and our PowerPoint people in the back, they're set apart from us. This group over here is kind of set apart from this group and these other groups, and we all have four groups here. Does that mean everybody is set apart differently and more holy than each other? No. Now, I will will say this. You know, Jimmy is no more holy than anybody else. But I will say this. When he has the long hair, he has the Fabio look going, like he says. You know, he's pretty close to it except for the height and the muscles and the looks. (laughs) You're elevated, aren't you, Jimmy? So understand that it means that we are set apart. And compared to God, no, we're nowhere close. But he says that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. So it's that simple. You see, we're told that God is holy. It means that he is set apart from everything that he created. Everything that's on this earth, he is set apart. Actually, the Bible says he is pure. He is high, and he is lifted up. He is above everything and anything. That's God. But it also tells us that he made us holy also. And that's something we need to grab onto. It means we're set apart for salvation, that he gives us this hope of eternal life, that we believe and we repent, we confess and we're baptized, then we have been made holy, we're set apart as his children to go do the work that he has asked us to do, to get out of our comfort zones, to get out of our pews, to go into the world and teach what he asks us to teach. But we're also told that God expects us to make ourselves holy to make ourselves holy that means God expects us to live differently there's an expectation there that we don't act like the rest of the world that we don't act like everybody else that we are different and that doesn't mean we're going with this attitude of holier than thou you know if they are no so high in the air and you know you you know look at me and all that that's not what he's saying and we're going to talk about it here in a minute but what does that mean but what caught my attention is in 1 Peter 13, 13 where Peter says, set your hope fully. In other words, no questions asked. That we make sure we're set fully on the grace that will be brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, get set. Set your feet on what we know is truth. Know where you're standing, because if you don't know where you're standing, if you don't know you're right, you might be thinking you're living holy, but when something comes along, you won't be able to stand. A simple breeze will knock you down if we're not careful. I remember when I played basketball and football, especially when I was blocking, uh, you had to make sure your feet was right. I guarantee you, if somebody was coming at you and you were kind of backing up already, they could knock you on your backside quicker than anything. I remember when I was at camp and we had the diving board and we would kind of play king of the hill, but king of the diving board where one of us would stand out on the diving board. I'm not saying it was the safest thing, okay? But we did it anyway. You know, and one of us would stand there and then other ones would try to come out and knock us off the diving board. And I guarantee you, I wasn't there just to survive. I was there to win. So all these people, I'd throw them off to the sides and they'd go into the water and we'd do that. Finally, somebody would get me knocked off, but a lot of times they'd bounce on the board a little bit and then I would try to get my balance, then they could push me over. But you have to make sure your feet is firm on that foundation. My point is this. The only reason I could be successful at that is that my feet were planted. Planted on something solid. I knew how to balance myself and I almost had an advantage over because I was bigger a lot of times. But I still, every once in a while, got knocked backwards. You see, in the same way, the only way we will be able to stand in holiness before God is to set our feet. Set our feet. That's the only way this is going to happen. This is the only way we can start at this. Now, the part of the reason that we need to understand is that if our hope is set on the full of grace that God has given to us, if we don't do that, we're not going to stand And the reason we need to get firm, we need to get solid, we need this firm foundation is we have an enemy, okay? It's not your neighbor. It's not that person who drives you crazy at work, although they can get bad times. But we have an enemy, and that's Satan. We need to remember that. We have someone who has stated his goal that to be nothing else than to knock us off balance. And we're talking about Satan. In fact, 1 Peter 5, 8, 9 says this. Peter says, be self-controlled, be alert. He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Peter says, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. So if you have your Bible, circle that word someone. That someone is you. I guarantee you, Satan wants nothing else than to get you off balance, to get you thinking that the truth is not really the truth, that who God says he is, he's really not. And that's what Satan wants. So we have to remember, Satan hates God. So if Satan hates God, he hates us. Okay, grab onto that. If Satan hates God, he's going to hate us. If he can hurt you, he can hurt God. If he can get us to fall away because we are believers, because we're his children, he knows that he can hurt God the same way, and he would love to do nothing else than to knock us off of our holiness. And what, God, what we believe in God. Now, the problem is that too many times we as Christians, we as church members, we as believers, Sometimes we help Satan get this job done, okay? Now, I'm not being mean, okay? But listen to what I'm saying. One of the ways Christians help Satan is by not wanting to be too holy, okay? Understand what I'm saying. We don't want to be too holy. I don't want to be too religious. So I'm just going to dabble a little bit. Yeah, I'll go to church when I can. I'll do what I can, but... As long as it doesn't mess with my life and mess with my schedule and do what I want to do. One of the most bizarre examples of this is the pop singer Tina Turner. You guys know who Tina Turner is? Not that I listened to her, but I found this illustration. She said one time, she was explaining her faith. You know what she said? She goes, I'm a Buddha Baptist. I know there's a lot of flavors of Baptist in the world. I didn't know there was a Buddha Baptist. But she said it this way. She goes, my training is Baptist." And I still relate to the Ten Commandments. Okay, she relates to them. She doesn't believe them. She relates to them. She went on to describe why she wanted to embrace Buddhism as well. So what she's doing is Tina wanted to honor the God of the Bible, but not too much. Okay, not too much. She felt it showed how wise she was, how open-minded she was if she tried combining the two. So she called herself a Buddha Baptist. Okay, understand, God has never been open-minded like that. God has never said it's okay to be a Buddha Baptist or a Christian Baptist or, or a Christian Buddhist or whatever. Okay, he's never said that. Exodus thirty-four fourteen says, do not worship any other gods, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Okay, so we have to understand this. In the Ten Commandments, Exodus twenty through, through 5 declares this. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. But she views the Ten Commandments, although she didn't read this one. He says, you shall not make for yourself an idol in a form of anything in heaven above the earth or below or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, if she makes the comment, I relate to the Ten Commandments, does she not read where it says, thou shall not make for yourself an idol? you shall not bow down to another idol. But she thinks it's open-mindedness and it's all okay. God says, I'm a holy God. He says, I'm greater than any man-made God. And understand this, God says, I'm not going to share you. God says, you are my children. I sent my son to die for you. I'm not going to share you with this Buddha, this idol, or anything else that we want to make up in the world today. He says, we've got to know this truth. No, there aren't too many Christians who would claim to be a Christian Muslim or a Christian Hindu or a Christian Buddhist. And I think most people, on the look of your faces when I said that, realize how stupid that is, how crazy that is. But there are way too many churchgoers who have a different problem with God. Okay? We have a different problem with God. That problem comes when they object to absolute truth about who Jesus is. Okay? Okay? There are people, I truly believe, who are in church, who have good hearts, who mean well, but they don't want to believe in the absolute truth about who God is. You see, truth is truth. Do we understand that? Do we get that? Are we good with that? That truth is truth? doesn't make any difference if you believe that it's not truth. Doesn't make, it doesn't make any difference if you don't agree with that truth. But if truth is truth, what is it? It's truth. I don't care how you cut it. I don't care what you you do with it. Truth is truth, and God's word is truth. See, one of the truths that I believe in is I like ice cream. Ice cream's good. I love going down to Oasis and getting my ice cream. Now, there's different kinds I like, okay? So I'm not going to stand on the truth that chocolate ice cream is the only ice cream, because I also like peppermint. I like hot fudge sundaes. I like banana splits. Yeah, you know, sometimes I just like an old fashioned chocolate ice cream cone. Okay, but here's the deal: I can tell you ice cream is good, and I can even say ice cream is good for you. Right? Not always. Now, nothing against Oasis. Okay, I'm not. I'm still going to get ice cream down there. But too much of anything like that can be what? It can be detrimental. It doesn't take away the truth that it's good, but it doesn't mean that you can just go do what you want to with it, whenever you want to with it. And we have to understand what truth is. John 14, 6 talks about Jesus and the truth that he says. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the The life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what does that tell me? The truth is, if I'm going to get to heaven, I go through Jesus Christ. Not Buddha, not any Muslim religion, not anything else. It's through Jesus Christ. Peter said pretty much the same thing in Acts 4, 12. Where Peter says, salvation is found where? In no one else for there is no name other than a name under Jesus and or under heaven given to men by which they must be saved we are saved through Jesus Christ period okay there's no other name there's no other name that we call upon there's no other person that we can believe in to get to heaven so if you're going to be holy unto God if you're going to set yourself apart as his child If you're going to set your feet for holiness, this is a major place we need to stand firm. And that is the truth of what we find in this Bible. The truth that we find, the truth that we study, the truth that we're going to build this foundation that Jesus has already built upon, but we're going to stand firm in it, then I guarantee you, when that day comes and we're challenged and our faith is questioned or they question who God is or what God does, we can stand firm and say, no, this is the truth. What you want to do, how you want to water it down, there's no way that's truth. Okay? We have to stand firm. So how do we do this, 1 Peter one thirteen: We have to stand firm in the grace of Jesus, first and foremost. Again, 1 Peter one thirteen says, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you as a revelation of Jesus Christ See, our holiness, our hope, our very ability to know God's grace is based on the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's based on the fact that Jesus Christ is your Lord. He's my Lord. And there is no one else who can do that for us. We have to declare that. We have to believe that individually individually. I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. I can't believe it for Tracy. I can't believe it for Dave. I can't believe it for anybody else. You've got to make that declaration that I believe. So my question this morning is this. Do you believe that? I mean, do we really believe that? Do you believe that Jesus has saved you? Do you believe that Jesus has forgiven you? Do you believe that he has changed you? Then if you do, don't be ashamed about it. Stand on that truth. Stand on that foundation. Paul said in Romans 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power for the salvation for everyone who believes. It's power. It's strength. Again, do you believe it? If you do, then set your feet. Stand firm because that's where our holiness is. Let's take it just a little bit deeper. There are some people, like we said, that don't want to be too holy, too religious, Or too good. George Orwell said it this way. On the whole, human beings want to be good, but not too good and not quite all the time. Okay? What have you heard about Christians? They never have any fun. Right? Now, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of fun. I mean, Wednesday night, we was down at the Northamane High School with I don't know how many kids. We went through 80 pieces of pizza like that. And we could have probably had 10 more and it had been fine. There's a bunch of kids, you know. But it was fun watching them swim, watching them do what they do. You know, it was fun to do that. I have fun other ways, but we do have fun. You know, and you talk to young people. And apparently that if you talk to some of them and they go to school and they go to college and they're doing all these things. And they'll actually say, well, we can do some things here that maybe not be completely good and not completely right but it's okay but we can't do it here or at home or at school and I got to thinking about that how many times do we kind of say well there's things that we can't do in church that we do at home have we ever done that you know we're not going to cuss in church no (laughs) not gonna happen whoo But as soon as we step out the door, then it's okay. Yeah, in the parking lot, look out, you know. Or will we watch the same movies at church that we do at home? Why do we think it's okay to do it at home but not at church? Can I tell you something? What's holy here is holy out there. What's unholy out there is unholy in here. There's no special door you step through. There's no special portal that you go through that changes this. Unholiness is unholiness no matter where we're at, no matter what we're doing. So you can't say, well, we're at church, so I can't do this, I can't do that. You can't do it out there either. It doesn't change. God doesn't give us that opportunity. So understand our holiness is not dependent upon a building. God doesn't look down on us and say, oh, look how holy they are. They are in a building called West Liberty Church. Doesn't say that. Our holiness is in here. It's who we are. It's what He has placed in us. So many people say they don't want to be too holy, and we get that. But God doesn't play that game. He simply wants us to know that if we're going to be holy, you've got to do it inside and out. I'm just not talking to building, but in our lives, in our hearts, in what we believe. In fact, God doesn't recognize this. Like I said, building as important. Now, he does say it's important that we get together and we meet together, but he doesn't care if it's in this building. He doesn't care if it's at one of the high schools. He doesn't care if it's in one of the barns that we have around here. Because what does it say? Where two or three people gathered in my name, what? There I will be also. doesn't make a difference where we're at, as long as we welcome him there. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have received from God. He says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor your body for God. Honor our body. You see, holiness means that we realize we were bought with a price. Holiness means that we realize we don't deserve it all the time. We, we are called to be sold out. We are called to be holy upon, unto God. So lastly, we have to be careful to stand on His holiness. Again, First 1 Peter 1.13, set your f- hope fully on the grace. God's grace, God's mercy, His forgiveness, His compassion, all the things that He gives to us. Our hope and our holiness is based on God's standards. It is not on my righteousness, but His, and we need to understand that. Now, if you would go on the Internet, and I found this interesting. I actually did this. went on the Internet and typed in holiness and definition of holiness came up and all those, but also some churches called holiness churches i don't know if you've ever heard of them now these holiness churches if you look at their ministers a lot of them are entitled holy reverend fathers or high and exalted one or whatever their names are you know really long drawn out names because they want to be all this you know people ask me what do you want to be called i said kurt and not late for supper that's what i want to be called okay I'm not in the titles. I'm not in the names. But in these holiness churches, they have rules. And you follow these rules. Rules like you don't play cards. You don't eat where they serve alcohol. Women wear dresses. Men wear suits. See, I'm already in trouble. See, they have this list of things. And if you do these things, like don't go to movies You don't swim in public you don't use tobacco or alcohol (laughs) you don't dance okay there's no dancing here but what they say is if you do these things then you're holy in other words you follow these set of rules that we have made up then you're holy but does God ever tell us not to dance David danced in the Old Testament in fact David danced in his underwear you know, he doesn't tell us not to dance. But we need to be respectful. We need to do those other things. So a list of rules doesn't make us holy. We need to get that. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong if you decide you want to follow the rules. But let's be clear. There's nothing in the Bible that says follow these rules to be holy. Now, why is that a problem? Because so many times we make lists and we say if we follow this list, we can have holiness or we'll be in the right behavior and over the past 30 years in our schools and again i'm not going to bash schools or bash bash teachers but there's been this push for standardized standardized testing right where these kids have to take all these tests and even teachers today are dreading these test times okay but what they've almost done in our schools is from teaching life lessons and teaching how to do life and do all these things these teachers are teaching to test They know what's on these tests, and they teach so these kids can get better answers, get better test scores, which raises their school to academic excellence. But these kids don't know squat about life. You know, you might know the new math. Can you do the new math? I mean, two plus two is what? Four. In the new math, it is. But in the new math, it's, you know, two plus two. Then you have to draw this box, and you got to draw these lines, and you go one, two, three, one, two, three, and you have to draw these lines, and it takes fifteen steps to get two plus two equals four. And you're going, who's going to use that in life? But we've made these rules. And we do these things, and sometimes we expect to have these set of rules and have the set of standards for us to go by. Then we think we're holy when really it's about being set apart. It's about doing what God wants us to do. It's about who God is. Too often Christians, we approach religion and Christianity and church like all these things. We look at the Bible and we read the Bible and you listen to sermons and you listen to the Sunday school teachers and we maybe come to Bible study and we do all those things, but we don't look at the scriptures and we don't learn the scriptures. Instead, we kind of look at what we might need to do to get to heaven. And we just want to see that, but we don't see what he desires of us right now. So many times we may look at the Bible like the old crib notes used to be. You know, we'd to read a book in high school like Gone with the Wind. I ain't reading that book. But I'll get the crib notes. That's 50 pages. I'll read that and I'll test that. And that's what we do with scriptures a lot of times. We just want the crib notes. Just give me the highlights, Kurt. Don't give me all the details. I don't need details. But we do. Because the truth is in the details. The truth that we stand on and the grace that we get from Jesus Christ when he's going to be revealed is in these details. So understand, our holiness isn't just so we can survive, okay? Our holiness isn't just so we can survive to the afterlife. It is far more than that. Our desire for holiness should be more than defensive. It needs to be aggressive. We need to want, we need to want to search. We need to want to get to the truth. We need to desire to find what God's word has to say because we need to be aggressive in what we do for Jesus Christ for the world's sake because he tells us to go into the world and to teach them about who Jesus is. And we need to do those things. Remember when I was telling you about playing king of the diving board, standing on the end? Like I said, it wasn't just to survive. A lot of times the water was cold and I didn't want to go in. But a lot of times my thoughts was, (laughs) I'm taking you down, okay? Come at me, go ahead. But I'm going to take you down. I was there to win, not simply to survive. So when it comes to the holiness of God, we're not in this to survive. We're in it to win the world for Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. That's where we're standing is on the holiness of who Jesus Christ is. And we want to accomplish it by turning the world upside down. But not out of personal self-righteousness. Yeah, and that's kind of what we get in the world a lot of times. When somebody does something good for the poor or for the hurt and the injured, what do they want? They want the TV time. They want to look at me. Yeah, I did all this. Yeah, I put my life in danger, which is great, good for you, la-di-da. But it's about turning the world upside down for Jesus Christ. When we set our feet, where we know where and how and why we have set our feet, it's there that we will set our feet and we move against the very gates of hell. Folks, understand that. When we get our feet firmly planted on who Jesus Christ is, when we plant our feet firmly in the grace and the mercy and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, when we truly understand that this whole idea of salvation and relationship with Christ is a gift that was given to us, It's because of what we just celebrated last week, the Easter, the resurrection of our Savior, that we have this hope of eternal life. And I want you to understand that, yeah, we may worship in a lot of different ways. There may be a lot of different churches that have a little different ideas about what is done and how it's done. And understand, they're going to be in heaven, too. We're not the only ones going to heaven. Okay? Grab that. I've said it before, and I said it again. I hope there's some Bill Gaithers there because I love their music. I also hope there's some casting crowns there because I love their music. If you don't know the difference, pull them up. Okay? Difference in night and day. Differences are differences. The point is, if we stand firm on the holiness of Jesus Christ, then we will get to heaven. But it starts with that relationship. As we start thinking about this holiness, and please, I I want to stress that it's not about, you know, we're going to be perfect and we're going to be at church every time the doors are open or we're going to be at every Bible study or we're going to be doing all these things. It doesn't mean that, but it means we strive to be who Jesus desires us to be, that we know our feet are planted that way when there's a storm. And that storm is about to knock us down and knock us over. We can stay planted. We can stay firm, no matter what it is. Because we know what the truth that God told us. And the storm could be raging. But what did Peter do when he went walking to Jesus on the water? I mean, the storm was raging. The waves were big. And when he got out of that boat, what did he do? He walked on the water, guys. But he was looking at Jesus. He kept his eyes on Jesus, the perfecter of his faith. And what happened when he took his eyes off Jesus? All of a sudden, his feet weren't planted solid, were they? And he sunk. He went underwater. But then there was Jesus. And I'm sure Jesus was probably kind of laughing at him, saying, really? You took your eyes off of me? But he reached down and brought him back up. Didn't change who he was. He was still a disciple. He was still a follower. He was still Peter. So understand, it starts with this relationship. It starts with us accepting Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. It starts with being baptized and confessing our sins and receiving that gift of the Holy Spirit. It starts with us asking Him into our life 100%.